Alright. Welcome in, y'all. How y'all doing? Girlfriend's in the chat already. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Live right now, if you're my girlfriend. <laughs> or on video or through like your podcast app later on. I appreciate you guys hearing me out on my life journey. And just my constant pursuit of finding and sharing the truth. I appreciate it. I am Sean Corey. You can find my links and all my stuff at seanvplanet.com. S-E-A-N-V-P-L-A-N-E-T.com. And you can find me on all the podcast apps, the video sites, and the social media sites at seanvplanet. And my blog is seanvplanet.blogspot.com. I have a couple new ones on there and a couple ones coming out in the next couple weeks that are going to be amazing. Today, tonight, <laughs> I used to sing tonight on these streams, Monday nights, every Monday night here on DLive, on YouTube, still on Trovo till they kick me off, still on all these streaming sites <laughs> until they kick me off for being a straight white Christian male. Um, but yeah, every Monday night. For the foreseeable future we're here we're doing it we're live and we're going to cover a topic tonight that i've been thinking about a lot lately and just all summer in general keeps coming up it's a constant theme it's kind of one of the more important themes um, christians have to deal with and tackle we kind of talked about it a little bit last week we're going to talk about screw tape letters and it's really just trying to understand our enemy and how evil works and how evil operates what causes it, how it works, <laughs> what it does, the ramifications of it. Um, so yeah, last week's reading of the screw tape letters was, um, you know, last week's stream, but I read it a few weeks ago. The uh, screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis was very eye-opening, <laughs> very revealing um, to me, um, and just gave me a lot of the, a lot of uh, insights and thoughts that have been extrapolated from it. And have just been adding on to other thoughts and studies I've been getting into like for the past few months. And, um, you know, through Bible reading groups, through personal prayer, and, you know, just very um, various readings of the Bible in general. And that is rebellion. <laughs> if the title hasn't appeared on your feed already, we're talking about rebellion. Um, so, what is it? So, what is rebellion? Just get right into it. What is rebellion? In the secular worldview, rebellion is an act of violence or open resistance to an established government or ruler. The action or process of resisting authority, control, or convention. Simply stated, rebellion is the defiance or disobedience against human authority. To those with a biblical worldview, Rebellion is disobedience to God's law and ordinances, not just man's. It is the rejection of his authority, a denial of his power and sovereignty, and has wide-ranging repercussions. In the beginning, God gave man dominion over all that was created. And that's a common theme we're going to see throughout this whole thing throughout my whole presentation and just throughout reality in general the relationship between creator and created um, again God originally gave dominion over all that was created to us to man 
He was given authority and the responsibility to oversee and manage all life. The first man, Adam, disobeyed his own duties to serve his Lord when he listened to his rebellious wife, who was deceived by the great deceiver and the ultimate rebel, Satan himself. The rest of the bloodline that followed has struggled with this rebellious nature inside of our hearts to seek our own pleasures, comforts, safety, security, and our own salvation. God has intervened many times to course correct us, right? (laughs) The Bible is full of it. Our personal experiences are full of it. History in general is full of it. God has intervened many times in an attempt to course correct us, and we continue to fail. The Old Testament in general is basically just a collection of human failures and lessons to be learned from a lack of faith or just from outright disobedience to him. The Old Testament is people trying to do good and failing constantly. And they fail when they reject God and seek first their own wisdom, their own insights, their own strength, their own safety, their own salvation, their own security. And they worship the stuff, the false idols that is the created and not the creator. After many failed attempts, by us, (laughs) by ourselves to course correct, God finally sent his son to sacrifice his perfect human life for our sake, taking the punishment that we deserve and giving us a chance to overcome this fallen nature once and for all and return into a spiritual connection with God through repentance and obedience. Many still struggle to see, understand, and live out this offered salvation for sin. But it is offered to all who hear or see the gospel message. Many still remain in rebellion to God, even to this day. And that causes them great pain and suffering right now and forever after. In the right now, in the present, and for eternity. In the physical, secular world, we see the results of those living in rebellion to God. They seek to manipulate others through various means to get what they want here and now, to live their best lives now and reject entirely what is to come after. They become utopia-minded, quote, utopia-minded and materialists, and they seek to conquer and dominate this world and all who live in it so that they may pretend to be gods in order to avoid submitting to and serving the one true Lord of all. Rebellion against authority is common, and very much so in our world today. Um, (laughs) It's it's literally happened since the first man. It's continued to happen. And even after Jesus came and gave us an an opt-out of it, it still continues to happen. It's always going to happen until the end times. That is, again, rebellion against authority is common. It always has been, it is, and it always will be. It is a sign of the general restlessness in the hearts of those alive today. As those who lack faith in eternity will seek to change the world they exist in to serve themselves best. However, however, and we will cover this in a bit, um, in a little bit tonight. Disobedience is right and just when authority itself 
is in rebellion to God and his right ways. When those in charge become rebellious to God and his righteousness, um, that is the line that gets crossed where disobedience is actually what we're called to do by God, what he will call us to do, and we'll know it when we see it, we'll know it when it happens. When demonic, wicked people take over the institutions of power in society, it is our duty to put on righteous armor, resist their evil schemes, and serve the Lord our God over all earthly kingdoms and all principalities of darkness. When the goal of rebellion against authority is self-serving, you can rest assured that those hearts are wicked. When the goal of rebellion, however, is to reinstitute righteous living and return the population back towards obedience to God, you will know that those souls are heaven bound. So again, when the goal of rebellion, when people are being rebellious, if their rebellion is self-serving, if it's in their own interests, if it's secular-minded, you can rest assured that those hearts are wicked and there's ulterior, ulterior motives. Um, there's personal gain being sought out. When the goal of rebellion is to reinstitute righteous living and return people towards back towards obedience to God, you will know that those souls are heaven-bound, that those are good people. The next part, I'm not really going to analyze too much. Uh, I just wanted to you know, talk about this real quick, share it. I think it's useful for people to know about and if they haven't heard it already. A lot of like conspiracy-minded people, very political-minded people might have already heard of this. Um, it's sort of just um, giving you an idea of the playbook that rebels commonly use to push their own selfish wills and personal agendas. As I read this, just think about likely places these principles are being used. Who seems to be using these strategies and what might their end goals be? And again, rest assured that people using these strategies are not um, seeking first God in, his, in all his right ways. They are seeking to promote and push their own agendas and their own gain power for themselves. So this is, real quick, a summary of the 13 Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. And you'll hear that a lot. Saul Alinsky. <laughs> I, uh, I believe he was a market Marxist. He definitely was a Marxist in practice, whether he called himself that or not. Um, but again, 13 Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. A lot of rebels in our in our world use this playbook, and so again, just think and imagine who might those people have been throughout you know the last century and present day. So number one, power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. Power is derived from two main sources: money and people. Have-nots quote have-nots the have-nots in society must build power from flesh and blood. Number two, never go outside the expertise of your people. It results in confusion, fear, and retreat. Feeling secure adds to the backbone of anyone. Number three, whenever possible, go outside the expertise of the enemy. Look for ways to increase insecurity, anxiety, excuse me, anxiety and uncertainty in them. So again, never go outside the expertise of your own, <laughs> those on your side of the rebellion and your opposition, make sure that they are going outside of their expertise. 
Number four, make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. If the rule is that every letter gets a reply, then send 30,000 letters. You can kill them with this because no one can possibly obey all of their own rules. Number five, ridicule is man's most potent weapon. There is no defense to it. It's irrational. It's infuriating. It also works as a key pressure point to force the enemy into concessions. You know, you bigot, racist, homophobe, misogynist, sexist. Um, just these words that are used to ridicule. There is no defense to it. It's irrational. It's infuriating. It also works as a key pressure point to force the enemy into concessions. You know, losing ground in the war. Number six, a good tactic is one your people enjoy. They'll keep doing it without arguing and come back to do more. They're doing their thing and will even suggest better ones. Number seven, a tactic that drags on too long becomes a drag. Do not become old news. Number eight, keep the pressure on. Never let up. Keep trying new things to keep the, pop, keep the opposition off balance. As the opposition masters one approach, hit them from the flank with something new. Always keep your enemy on its toes. Number nine, the threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. Imagination and ego can dream up many more consequences than any activist. Number 10, the major premise for tactics is the development of operations that will maintain a constant pressure upon the opposition. It is this unceasing pressure that results in the reactions from the opposition that are essential for the success of the campaign. 11, if you push a negative hard enough, it will push through and become a positive. Violence from the other side can win the public to your side because the public sympathizes with the underdog. Number 12, the price of a successful attack is a constructive alternative. Never let the enemy score points because you're caught without a solution to the problem. Problem, reaction, solution. And number 11, Pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, and polarize it. Cut off the support network and isolate the target from sympathy. Go after people and not institutions. People hurt faster than institutions. Just think about all of the political and social movements of the last few decades and ask yourself, who seems to be using this playbook to gain power and push agendas? <laughs> You know, uh, let's just see who who seems to be using these these tactics and strategies. Um, who seems to be on the tack and pushing for godlessness? Um, and who seems to be on the run and abandoning their faith? Who seems to be using this playbook and who seems to be failing miserably at the other end of it? Who seems to be pushing for godlessness? The side using these tactics. <laughs> and who's who's losing in the whatever you want to call it, culture war, political war happening in this country and beyond the Western world in general? 
and abandoning their faith as a result. Also a thought to note, um, one that is just very profound, is that even if you give your opposition everything that they ask for, it will never be enough. They hate you, they want to rule over you, they want to destroy you, they don't care about you. Concessions, conceding ground is not going to convince them to stop. If anything, it's going to motivate them to push further. They see that their tactics are working. They know how to manipulate you. They learn what you're willing to give up and they'll continue to push for more. They will not stop. They will never stop. Those in rebellion do not stop rebelling. They will not stop. If you concede ground to them, if you give them some minor victories, it just builds their confidence, um, gives them more resources to plan their next attack and they will not stop. Those with rebellious hearts will never stop rebelling. You cannot give them concessions and think that they're going to be satisfied and that their rebellious hearts will be quenched. <laughs> that thirstiness they have for power um, will just be quenched by a few concessions. Again, if you give your opposition everything that they ask for, it will still not be enough. Those who are in rebellion to God Whatever groups they claim to belong to or ideologies they claim to support, the common denominator of all those who seek to disrupt established order, gain earthly power for themselves, silence or even destroy those seeking to build up or create, and those who generally push for radical change in the name of social justice, at the end of the day, all fall into the category of those in rebellion to God and his right ways. Again, if their opposition to authority, if their push for change is not one seeking to worship and obey God, the creator, then it is them pushing for personal victories, personal power. They want it, things for themselves. They don't want to actually serve God. Their rebellion is self-serving. Their rebellion is not righteous. Their hearts are rebellious by nature, and they aren't seeking the rest and the peace that comes from finding the salvation only Jesus Christ can provide. So their hearts are forever seeking to destroy, tear down, dismantle, break, and overthrow all people in every institution. They don't want to submit to an authority, they can't stand the thought of serving their Lord, and they will never be content with concessions, treaties, or even outright victories. They will forever seek to gain and win at the expense of everyone and everything around them. Everyone and everything around them. We have played the clip of this before <laughs> on my stream when I kind of covered the same topic back last summer, summer of 2020, on, I believe it was live stream. I don't know why I always looked at my calendar. My calendar doesn't have my live stream numbers on it. It was like live stream, I wanna say 25 or 26, maybe 27. Um, back last year, look back on, the, on, the, on my feed. It's called, I think it was called Revolutionaries. So we're talking about rebellion tonight, but in the more political, um, secular, vein we covered a similar topic and i played the clip of this 
which is a former, un, un, former Soviet Union spy named Yuri Bezmenov, who left communist Russia for what he perceived at the time to be the free lands of Canada and United States. And I'm not going to play the clip again, but I'm going to read it because it's so profound and so true. Um, he said this in the 80s, I think it was the late 80s, on a talk show. But again, Yuri Bezmenov said, The useful idiots, the leftists who are idealistically believing in the beauty of the Soviet socialist or communist system, when they get disillusioned, they become the worst enemies. That's why my KGB instructors specifically made the point, never bother with leftists. Forget about these political prostitutes. Aim higher. These fools only serve a purpose at the stage of destabilization of a nation. For example, your leftists in the United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when they get this illusion, when they see that Marxist-Leninists come to power, obviously they get offended because they think that it is themselves who will come to power. But that will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. So profound. Again, that's Yuri Bazmanov. Played the clip before. My live stream called Revolutionaries. I think it was live stream 25 or 26. That sounds familiar. I think it was 26. The useful idiots, the subverters, the destroyers, the breakers, the rebels are used by Satan. Useful idiots used by Satan ultimately to tear down what is good, true, and beautiful. We are seeing this play out right now in front of our eyes in our present day. These rebels are systematically destroying the West and civilization as a whole. They seek to replace the tried and true methods of the Western world with the unknown methods of satanic freedom. Manipulating people's emotions and feelings to bring about radical changes to the established order. Using anger and fear to convince people to destroy their own communities and even themselves. Destroy their own communities and even themselves. The goal of the true enemy of humanity is to destroy and then to keep destroying and then after that carry on destroying. They seek to undo what is good, true, and beautiful and replace it with emptiness, falsehoods, forgeries, cheap imitations, ugliness, and darkness. They do the job of Satan in destroying the works of godly people. They seek to destroy creation and erase goodness. You can see the destruction when you examine our reality with clear, open, spiritual eyes. You can see how our architecture, our culture, our art, our law and order, our actual health, our actual love and happiness has just diminished over the years as these destroyers and demonic rebels slowly take over society, political and religious institutions, 
and just in general take over our population. They don't stop. They will never stop. Freezing? Am I freezing online? They don't stop. They will never stop. And we must know who they are and what their goal is and what the consequences of their attempted victory is in order to stop them. God wins in the end, but for us, in our right here's and right now's, we must resist the forces of evil and stand up against the wickedness plaguing our civilization. We were put right here in these lives and in these scenarios to test us, to strengthen us, prepare us, and ultimately lead us to where we need to go and who we need to become. We have evils and wickedness before us and all around us, active and gaining ground. And it is not by accident or random chance, but in order to make us worthy inheritors of a glorious eternal kingdom, we must earn our place. Do not go down cowardly, waiting for someone else to save you. Go down fighting for what is good, true, and beautiful with the truth and the love of the one who already saved you with his eternal, glorious sacrifice. The spiritual battle has been taking place for a very long time, and it will continue to take place long after you're gone. But while you are here in the midst of it all, be one who fights for God and not one who rebels against him. Choose to wear his armor, stand up and speak out against wickedness, and walk forward into your destiny as a member of the glorious eternal kingdom, following a life here and now of victories in the name of Jesus Christ. What's going on, Christopher Shada? Shada, right? Yo, my bros, complete surrender to Jesus is the only way women will be free from the spirit of Jezebel. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Women, absolutely, I mean, everyone has a rebellious nature, but women, I feel like, suffer from the most, you know? It was no accident that Satan in the garden tempted Eve, right? Because, no offense, ladies, uh, but you're the weaker vessel. You're the lesser vessel. You're created from the man. Um, but, <laughs> but we are still weak too, and we still have weakened, rebellious hearts ourselves, just like Adam, who gave in. Um, Satan went to the woman first and won his little victory, convinced her to join him in, in the rebellion against God. And then the woman then, right right away, I mean, without any kind of pushback, without any kind of pushback or, you know, <laughs> Adam wasn't like waiting a while and be like, hey, maybe, maybe I'll join you in a little bit. Like right away, Adam joined her in the rebellion. So, I mean, you could even make the argument that even the, maybe he was even weaker, you know, the weaker of the vessels because he just gave in to her. But it's all about those hearts turning rebellious against God. And we're going to get into the garden in a little bit. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, women, submit yourself to your husband. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Yeah. 
Amen. Preaching in the preaching in the live chat. <laughs> preaching. You hear that, babe? My girlfriend's here in the live chat. You hear what he's saying? Women, submit yourself to your husband. <laughs> Surrender yourself to Jesus, and the only is the only way a woman will be freed of the spirit of Jezebel. Yeah. Completely lay down your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're gonna talk talk about that soon. Get ready because we're talking about it. And keep preaching in the live chat. <laughs> keep keeping it real, you know. Uh, we're gonna watch a clip real quick about Romans 13 and how folks tend to twist scriptures to keep people docile, obedient, and subtly in rebellion to God and his laws in favor of an easy, comfortable, safe, and long life here and now. I just thought this was a profound take on Romans 13, which um, I feel like everyone who brings up Romans 13 uh, does it does not do it justice one way or another. They either use it to justify just complete submission to tyranny, which is what this guy's going to talk about. And then most people on the opposite don't really understand it enough to refute it and explain what it is and what it means. And I just thought this was a great, I think it's about a 10 minute clip of, you know, Christians who get it, <laughs> a couple Christians who get it. And by, I forgot to look it up, but I'll look it up while we watch this what the channel is on YouTube, because this guy seems to just pretty much get it, you know? A Christian with some with a backbone. <laughs> a Christian with with a with the Bible in his in his in his mind, some uh, a backbone, a spine in his back, and um, courage in his heart. Speaking truth to power. But yeah again this is a clip called Submission to Tyranny. We're gonna watch it real quick. So let me ask you this. So you started in the beginning um, by you mentioned that that infamous phrase that we hear so often from Christians, the law of the land. And you said that, you know, part of your concern with the legalization of marijuana is that Christians take their cues from uh, the state, unfortunately, rather than the scripture. And so um, the law of the land, I, I hear that that phrase used so often, and I know that you have also, especially in 2020 and 2021 now, uh, with everything that's happened with you know uh, coronavirus and and draconian lockdowns from the state, um, where where in scripture could you help us? Where in scripture to, is is that Romans 13? Where do we get this phrase, the law of the land, and and how is that? Because um, people would say I'm obeying God's law, aka the scripture, by submitting to the law of the land. What why is that wrong headed? Okay, so it's uh, it's wrongheaded for a number of reasons, and we we need a lesson in basic civics first. So Romans thirteen was written to the church at Rome, that was the capital city of a pagan empire that had no believing laws, no believing traditions, no believing institutions at all. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it was a Christian church starting from scratch. That means that when Paul arrived in Rome, he didn't start circulating clipboards and petitions to get the gladiatorial games banned. Right. <laughs> he, had, he had bigger fish to fry. Uh, what Paul wanted to do was plant churches. Now, the planting of these churches all over the Roman Empire is what resulted in the gladiatorial games being banned three centuries mm -hmm. later, but it was going to take some time. Okay. 
So uh, Paul was in a very different situation than we are in, all right? Because the existing authority, when he wrote Romans 13, and someone said, what are these existing authorities that you're talking about? He would say the emperor, the senate, the here are the laws, this is what I'm dealing with. And these laws are all uh, fundamentally pagan. They're built on wrong assumptions. But these are the people you should pay attention to right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, a Christian in the 21st century, a, when a Christian asks, who are the existing authorities? What are the existing mm-hmm. authorities right now? Yeah. When the Christian responds, well, the emperor is these, you know, whoever the guy on TV is telling me what to do. Fauci is the existing authority or, um, you know, uh, I saw a great meme where it says, you know, I believe the science and the, re- the retort is no, you believe the television. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so there's this talking head on television telling you that this is the law. The governor comes on and says everybody has to stay in their basement or mm-hmm. every, every, you all have to stand six feet apart or you can't go out without wearing a mask. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, when the Christian talks that way, as though the governor of Illinois or the governor of Michigan or the governor of California is in the same in the same relationship to him that the Roman emperor was in to the average inhabitant of Rome, mm-hmm. what they're doing there is they're ignoring the actual existing authority. Mm. The actual the actual existing authority is the Constitution. Right. Okay, so we since the Apostle Paul wrote those words, we've had 2000 years of Christian history, church planting, civilization forming, bringing our laws and our customs and our constitutions into closer conformity with Scripture. Mm -hmm. All right. That means if the if the president of the United States or the president of some intergalactic thing came on the television and said, everybody has to wear a pink beanie tomorrow because I said so. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the reason I would disobey him is not because I think it's okay to disobey the existing authorities. It's because I don't think it's okay for him to disobey the existing authorities. That's right. Yeah. Right. So the president, the president has no authority to tell me to wear a pink beanie. He has no authority. Um, it's a shame my, because you would look fantastic in a pink beanie, Pastor Doug. I, I, I think it would, I think it would it'd be, be a good look for you. It'd be fabulous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it'd be fabulous. Yeah. So um, when, when someone says, you must do thus and such, mm-hmm. the response ought to be, by what standard are you telling, what authority are you appealing to when mm-hmm. you, you're telling me to do this? So when our governor, when the governor of Idaho declared an emergency and, and declared a lockdown on the basis of his gubernatorial powers to declare an emergency, I went and read the Idaho code. Mm. And he did not have the authority to require what he was requiring of us. Mm. Okay, now, so here's the, just to make it, make the problem a very simple one and to stay with the illustration of the pink beanie. If the president says, 
you must wear a pink beanie. And I go look at the Constitution, and I see that James Madison had the foresight to include, and no, under no circumstances made the president tell you to wear a pink beanie. Mm -hmm. Okay? I can read. I have a copy of the Constitution. I read this, and then I look at the declaration the president just made. Right. Okay? Now, my objection to him is that he is disobeying Romans 13. Mm -hmm. I'm not, if I go out without my beanie, I'm not disobeying Romans 13. He is. Right. Right. So the, the thing that, the thing that Christians don't recognize is that we have a, a, um, a highly developed constitutional system, court system, legislative, we've got dual federalism. We've got divided government at the federal level. We have a federal judiciary. We have federal legislative authority in Congress, and that's divided. So there's a House and a Senate. Then we have mm -hmm. a federal executive. Then the next layer under is every state has those three um, functions, judicial, legislative, and executive. And all of the states, with the exception of Nebraska, have bicameral legislatures. So Nebraska has unicameral legislature. All the rest have bicameral. So we have divided the authority, the existing authority that uh, is established in our system has been spread thinly and mm -hmm. pushed into every nook and cranny. And if the president suddenly stands up and says, I am the king of the universe and I'm going to and I'm going to require you to start doing these bizarre things. He has no authority to do that, has no authority to right. say that. He's not an absolute dictator. He's not an absolute despot. He can't do certain things. Now, when he tries to do them, if, the, if Christians stand by and let him do those things, then they are the ones disobeying Romans 13, because they are the yeah. ones disregard, they're disregarding uh, uh, Paul's instruction to obey the existing authorities. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. Uh, put another way, you could say that, you know, when Paul's writing uh, in his letter um, to the Romans, it's one, one big difference is, you know, we're not, we're not subjects of a monarchy, but rather citizens of a democratic republic, um, at least for the time being. And so that's a massive difference. And so you're saying all these human officials, because the highest um, the highest civil magistrate in our land is not a, a human official by design, but rather a document. Um, all these other human officials in, in our land are actually lesser magistrates um, that ultimately are called to submit to the highest being um, the federal and state constitutions. And so uh, when, when they're not obeying Romans 13, when a lesser um, human of, of civil magistrate is in rebellion towards their authority, namely the constitution, um, then our rebellion to that lesser civil magistrate is actually submission to the higher authority and, and righteous. Uh, would you agree that with that? Ab absolutely. That's okay. absolutely the case. Because you can, so watch, the, you can watch the Go new ahead. president on television, put his hand on the Bible, and raise <laughs> his hand and swear to uphold an authority that's higher than he is. Mm -hmm. Right? That's, um, that's fundamental. That oath means something. Thanks for watching this video. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, uh, we hope that you'll take a moment and subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you can watch more content like this. 
Also, take a moment and give this video a like so that it can reach more people. Yeah. Right Response Ministries on YouTube. Check them out. Can't, couldn't find his name, but Right Response Ministries on YouTube. Um, yeah. We must love our neighbors with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. But we do not have to comply with their wickedness. You can love your neighbor without complying to their wickedness. You can still forgive them. You can still show them compassion. But if you are truly loving and serving the Lord, you will not comply with their wicked behavior. We can show compassion for the fallen and seek to provide them with the salvation they so desperately need without joining them in their rebellion towards God. The communists, the Marxists, the statists, the humanists, the materialists, and the atheists, all the ists and isms, all share a common enemy, whether they know it or not, and it is their true father. They share a common enemy, and it is their true father. And Christopher Shada in the chat says, if you love the world, the love of the father is not in us. Be hardcore, bros. And yeah, if you do not love God, then he is your enemy. If you love the world, <laughs> the love of the father is not in you. Um, all the ists out there, the Marxists, communists, the statists, the humanists, all those in rebellion seeking for earthly power and earthly gain because they love the world and not their father. They are in rebellion against who they call, you know, quote, sky daddy. When you hear that, you know, someone is just a rebel to God. You know, if they say that, they, you know, as they like to mock them with that <laughs> and their little funny attempt to be a little rebellious, um, whatever you want to call them. Um, they are in rebellion against him because they either fear meeting him one day, deep down, they'll never admit it, you know, hopefully they will, but they either fear meeting him one day, and they know deep down they will, or they do not want to meet him one day at all. They hope that that doesn't have to happen, even though in the back of their minds they know it will. They want to stay here and now, in this place, and they fear the thought of anything beyond this place out of selfishness. They do not want to obey. They do not want to serve. They do not want to love others. They do not want to build or grow. They do not want to admit that they, are, they aren't, that they themselves are not the center of the universe. And they do not want to know the one who actually is. They just want to rebel. They want to indulge. They want to hate. They want to enjoy. They want to break. And they want to live their own best life now. They are in rebellion, whether they know it or not. And they will pay the ultimate price for that eventually. Oh, they're going to pay a price. <laughs> it will come. It might be a while from now, <laughs> you know, relative terms. But, oh, they're going to pay a price for their rebellion. Submission to tyranny is actually rebellion against God. However, again, remember, if your rebellion is in order to lead people towards submission to God, um, if, you're, if you're leading people, if your rebellion is against tyranny, um, 
you're doing God's work and submission to it. You know, taking a Bible verse out of context <laughs> that Paul wrote to the Roman church um, to explain who Jesus was and what their call towards righteous living was, you know, in 50 AD in, in the Roman Empire, taking that out of context to justify submission to tyranny in the modern day, um, that is actually rebellion to God in his right ways. If you're submitting to an earthly ruler, an earthly government over the call you have to live righteously and live obediently to God, um, you are in rebellion. And like Shada says, the Father is not in you or with you. A passive life adhering to the law of land while rejecting the laws of God will always lead one into a worldly life and away from the re reality of eternal life and the spiritual war we are in. Those who rebel against God in his right ways and then there are those there are those sorry there are those who rebel against God in his right ways and then there are those who obey him only, which causes them to rebel against the institutions and humans of this world that serve their daddy, the devil. <laughs> Again, shot in the chat. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. If you rebel against the world, it is. We are called to obey righteous authority. We are called to love and serve only the one true God. And when it has become clear, as it has now, that the ruling class and those in power here and now in this place are serving Satan and not God, we have a duty to stand up and speak out against such evil. That doesn't mean we begin to pick up arms and start shooting. <laughs> doesn't mean we raid the Capitol or whatever. It just means that we stand our ground and refuse to comply peacefully, accepting any and all consequences. Refuse to comply with wickedness. You don't have to get guns and start killing them. Actually, the opposite. You should forgive them. You should show them compassion. You should speak up, stand your ground, spread the truth, spread the gospel, and let them be the ones to start shooting. Accept any and all consequences. Death is only the beginning, my dudes. Accept the consequences of standing your ground and speaking up for righteousness, knowing full well that pain is temporary and that death is only the beginning. We stand boldly and confidently in the face of wicked schemes and evil powers, wearing God's armor and refusing to comply with and participate in evil. We are to remain strong like Daniel in the face of wicked tyrants. We are to accept the consequences of rejecting the commands of evil rulers as the early church martyrs and even Christ himself did so with love, truth, compassion, hope, and confidence in our hearts. We are not called to be led passively to slaughterhouses. We are called to put on the armor of God and fight back against wickedness, to push back against satanic schemes and plots, and to resist the wills of evil forces that seek to dominate and demoralize us, destroy 
and even kill us. We are to stand our ground in the name of God. We are to obey him and serve him only. And let those who are in rebellion to him suffer the eternal consequences while we enter into his kingdom where we truly belong. Stand up and speak out for righteousness. Yeah, completely lay down your life, says Shada in the chat. Remind me if I'm getting that wrong. I think it's Shada, right? Christopher Shada. Preaching in the preaching in the live chat tonight. Um, yeah, again, thank you guys for tuning in. They kicked me off Periscope. I guess Periscope is officially done and over with. It was a good run. It was like a 10-year run for Periscope. Um, now it just feeds right to Twitter. So at not Sean V Planet on Twitter, um, at N O T S E A N V P L A N E T, the Sean V Planet fan cup. I don't know who runs it, but I just know that um, my feed streams there now. So if you want to log on to Twitter and watch me on Monday nights, you can do that. Um, yeah, and thank y'all. Post the links in the chat if you want to like super chat me or send donations. PayPal.me slash Planet or DonorBox.org slash Planet for yeah super chats and donations. And then um, money sign S-E-A-N-I-E-C-O-R-Y for Venmo and Cash App. If y'all have extra money to spare. If you don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> just watch, just comment, share it, tell your friends, tell your enemies about it. Um, spread this around. But if you can, if, I'll read your super chats if you send them. And I thank you for any of the donations you can or do send me. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So now we get into the biblical gravy. <laughs> Let's read. Get your Bibles out. We're in Isaiah. Isaiah 44, 14 through 20. Again, Isaiah 44, verse 14 through 20, reads, He cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and, ba and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half, he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know nor understand, for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? 
Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? So what can we take from this? <laughs> what can we take from this? It is very easy to create a God, but only God can create us. We are all designed for worship, all of us. And if our worship is not focused only towards God alone, then it will be for something else, anything else. Something temporary and physical, not spiritual and eternal. We will end up worshiping science or logic or entertainment, art, music, comforts, pleasures, feelings, or inanimate objects. We will find anything around us to worship and place our faith in. When we have fallen away from God or chosen to rebel against him entirely. Without God, we rely on ourselves, our own understanding, our own skills and abilities, and our own experience. And it all crumbles down and ends eventually. Utopia will never be made. Your life will end. And the pain and suffering you wish to avoid will come someday. And if your rebellion continues until the end of your days, then the eternity that awaits you will not be pleasant, to say the least. <laughs> when you don't worship the Creator, you will end up worshiping what He created instead. When you don't worship the Creator, you will end up worshiping what He created instead. So what is after and beyond this life and greater than our own singular lives? There is a contrast between a biblical worldview and a secular worldview regarding our lives and what lies before and after them. When your soul truly seeks to know the truth and find the love intended for it, the final destination will always be the triune, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful creator of everything we know as God. He is the only source of understanding and wisdom about the world that exists around us. And you will know that when you finally choose to know that. You will know that when you finally choose to know that. The secular worldview is the result of being separated from the Creator, the inevitable result of being spiritually broken. Unbelievers and outright rebels do not yet know God, and they have yet to reestablish a spiritual connection to Him. Again, yet being the key word there. They don't know God yet, and they have yet to establish a spiritual connection to Him. But there is always time. And they will, those who do that, those who are rebellious towards God, will suffer the consequences and answer to His judgment after this life of theirs comes to an end. 
which is why they seek to avoid death at all costs. They avoid pains and hardships. They destroy and kill what is good, true, and beautiful here. And they seek to bring others who have found and know God back down into their own living hell. They want to live their best lives now and disregard entirely the eternity that awaits them. As Jonathan Edwards profoundly stated, and I brought this up last week, this world is all the hell that a true Christian is to ever endure. And it is all the heaven that unbelievers shall ever enjoy. This world is all the heaven that unbelievers shall ever enjoy. As we read on in Isaiah 44, 21 through 22, Remember these, O Jacob, my and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you, you are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. So amazing. I formed you. You are my servant, says the Lord. I am God. You are what I created. I have blotted out your transgressions and your sins. If you return to me, for I have redeemed you. So God has not chosen us to sort things out by ourselves. The sin and broken relationship between creator and created is mended only through God's grace. Clouds and mists. <laughs> Which, reading this was so amazing, like in the screw tape letters last week. Quick side note. When the, de- when the demon, I forget who, but I think Screwtape was writing to Wormwood. And um, he's like, oh, there's like this cloud, this mist that just covers the, the person when they like have fully submitted themselves to the quote enemy. You know, like from the demon's perspective, like when the person is truly saved, truly like born again, you know, and the spirit is with them. To the demons, the perspective is like these cloud, this cloud is, is around them that we can't seem to like break or penetrate, you know. And then reading this is just <laughs> mind blown, you know. Um, I don't know if that's exactly, I mean, he might have got, C.S. Lewis might have gotten that inspiration for that little bit of the screw tape letters from this. Might be a coincidence, might be a synchronicity, whatever you want to call it. But profound, you know, clouds and mists um, have blotted out your transgressions and your sins. Clouds and mists surrounding a person. After forgiveness, there's nothing left impeding the pursuit of relationship with God. This is redemption language. Redemption language, the most important there is, that should sound familiar to New Covenant Christians. This is a passage about grace leading to forgiveness of sins. The grace of God, which leads to the forgiveness of our sins, of our rebellion. God's grace alone saves. You will never save yourself. God's grace alone saves. With faith and repentance, 
not works, sacrifice, and strict obedience. Those help lead you there, but faith and repentance in God, for God, saves you. And it is by His grace alone that does that. When we talk about redemption, justification, and reconciliation, all the usual, you know, churchian words and phrases and concepts that get real, you have to have Bible studies to explain. These words are just fancy or complex ways of describing the simple concept of a restoration of the intended creator-created relationship. This relationship has been broken, but we are offered a chance to restore the creator-created relationship if our hearts are not in rebellion against God. In Genesis 2, 7 through 8, we see this. The plan for a reconnection with God spiritually was laid out from the very beginning. There is a beautiful relationship intended for us by God, all of us, from the very beginning. For those who know God and are aware of the intended relationship between creator and creation, we have the opportunity now to live the way God intended, right now and forever after. The entire story of existence is one giant redemption plan. All of the good and all of the bad. All the people, places, and things are created for the purpose of bringing us back into relationship with God. Um, going back to Romans, Romans 12.2 reads, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As Shada said in the chat earlier, very profound. Um, I don't know if it's a direct quote, but Jesus says it from the word from the in red letters. If you love the world and love the, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And Romans twelve reads from Paul's from Paul's uh, hand. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In libertarian free will, man makes choices independent of any external influences. Man left to his own understanding and wisdom will make choices that miss the mark. Those without truth and love from the creator will destroy themselves eventually. They will suffer the consequences in the end, regardless of how much success or rewards they may have or achieve here and now. Philippians 2, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 read, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who, put, who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. As Christians, we know the contrast of the secular and biblical worldviews and what life is compatible with God's will. Does God look at us and ask, is that all there is? Is that all there is? Are we pursuing the next level? 
the next step in our faith walk towards discipling and towards becoming a disciple maker. What is God doing in your life, believers out there? How are you responding to that? What is God doing in your life? How are you responding to that? Are you still in rebellion to him? Are you in denial of that? Or are you restored into that creator-creator relationship? Are you still in rebellion to God? Or have you humbled yourself, repented for what you have done, submitted to him, and received the salvation for your soul that only a return to him can provide? Questions, questions to be answered <laughs> by you on your own um, or in the chat right now. Set of Acantus, my dude in the chat. Set of Acantus, bear, what's going on? Good evening to you as well, sir. Thanks for the ice cream on DLive. <laughs> Thanks for the funny money on DLive. I appreciate it. Now in Genesis 3, let's get to the original rebellion. Let's end with the first rebellion. Now, in Genesis 3, we are introduced to the first and ultimate rebel. We are shown his tactics and his depravity from the very beginning. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day, that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So profound. <laughs> the serpent said, surely, surely not, right? The first and most cunning tactic of Satan is to make you question God's commandments. Make you question your obedience to him. And that is what he seeks to do is cause a rebellion, a break between the creator created relationship. She gave to her husband and her husband ate as well. He joined her in rebellion without question against God. 
and both of their eyes were open. They knew they were naked for the first time. They realized their reality, and they heard the sound of the Lord God in the garden, the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. And yeah, because they didn't want to accept the consequences of their actions. Just like those today in rebellion of God, in rebellion towards God, who don't want to meet him. <laughs> they avoid their death because they are afraid of the consequences of finally encountering God and meeting him. And they are afraid of where they will enter into in eternity. And they are, they are ashamed of their actions, whether they admit it or not, whether they know it consciously or not. That is why they fear death. They fear the presence of God. And the hide in the trees. <laughs> and when God says, where are you? If your response isn't, I'm right here obeying you and serving you. <laughs> there's going to be some consequences. Oh, oh you're going to get some consequences. Um, when God asks, where are you? It better not be in rebellion to you. Rebelling against you, Lord. It better be, I'm right here serving you. I always have been and I always will be. From the very beginning, the first man and first women, woman were deceived by Satan into rebelling against God. He made them question God's rules, his truth, his love, and they acted contrary to him in order to serve their own desires. They wanted to be like God. They wanted power for themselves, and Satan promised them power knowledge and authority of their own of course <laughs> uh, but of course this only caused god to rightfully punish them for their choices their rebellion cost them a place in the garden it cost them their eternal lives it brought them pain and suffering it left them alone in the world to fend for themselves and it led not only to their own fallen state but to that of all their offspring from that point on. Their choice to separate from God and his right ways cost them everything. Everything. And all of us, their super duper great grandchildren. It costs us every day of our lives who continue on today in doing the same or similar acts of rebellion. Yeah, Sedificantus in the chat says, you know, where are you? Sedificantus will reply, right here awaiting orders, God. <laughs> where are you? Ask God. Sedificantus in the chat, my dude said, would reply, as we all should, right here awaiting orders, my Lord. We are born with a desire to have power for ourselves, wisdom, for ourselves, safety and security for ourselves, pleasures and comforts for ourselves. And we selfishly want to make this life of ours the best it can possibly be. We act rebellious towards God because we want what God has, not understanding that if we just obeyed and served him first and only, the entire garden would be ours in the end. If only we trusted in him, we would inherit a well-deserved place in his kingdom, with him, in a restored, creator-created relationship. But, 
<laughs> Just like Adam and Eve, we want it. We want power for ourselves, wisdom for ourselves. We want our eyes open. We, we, we want, want, want what is ours here and now. We want to act selfishly. We don't want to act in subservience to God in the intended creator-created relationship and be with him in the end in the garden. No, we'd rather hide behind the tree with our fig leaves on, with our eyes open, <laughs> quote-unquote, listening to Satan, acting rebelliously to him and his simple orders, <laughs> his simple and clear orders. Just don't eat the fruit from that one tree. Now at the end of the Bible, so that's the beginning of the Bible, right? And a profound thing I heard one time, I forget where, I wish I could remember who, genuinely. But someone once explained, like one of the, maybe it was on like TikTok or Instagram when you're scrolling through and you see his little mini sermons or whatever, his little excerpts of sermons. Someone explained very well in like one minute how Satan really seeks to make the first and the last Bible, books of the Bible seem insane and crazy, right? He doesn't want you to read them. He wants you to think they're allegories. He wants you to think that they're not real at all, that they're forgeries and lies and silly fables, fables and fairy tales, right? Because the first book of the Bible explains Satan's tactics, right? It's a constant battle of Satan deceiving people and leading people away from God, the rebel. It's, what, it's his tactics. How does he convince people to rebel against God? And the last book of the Bible, Revelation, explains his defeat, explains the end. And it explains where he's going to end up, you know. So what? of course he's not going to want people to believe either of those. Why would Satan want you to know his tactics? And why would Satan want you to know his destiny, which is in an eternity of pain and suffering and nothingness and rebellion against, against God? So I like that. I didn't do a great job of explaining this one guy on one of those apps <laughs> in a mini sermon explained it very well. But yeah. It just reminded me of that real quick because, you know, we're talking about the beginning, Satan's tactics and making man, hum, all humans, um, all the descendants of Adam, rebellious in their hearts. And in the final chapter, at the end of the Bible, we're told of how the story concludes, right? How does it conclude? Revelation 22 reads, And behold, I am coming quickly. Again, this is red letters right here. Chapter 22 of Revelation and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to every one according to his word. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star and the spirit of um, and, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So in the end, those who obey the commandments and serve God alone will enter into the eternal kingdom. 
we will regain access to the garden and to the tree of life, entering into the gates of the glorious kingdom that, are, that is our true home. And those who rebel against God, those who believe the lies of Satan and live for themselves here and now, will suffer the consequences outside of those gates, outside of the garden, outside of the kingdom where their soul should be. Those who steal and lie and cheat and murder and pleasure themselves and worship false idols and seek to become their own gods will suffer the consequences. Their choice to reject the invitation of the Father to obey and serve only Him will remain in a fallen state here and now and will never enter into the eternal paradise that is offered to us all through our belief, repentance, service, and obedience. You cannot serve two masters. And if you are rebelling against God in your words and in your actions, then you are serving Satan, and you will join him in eternal damnation and suffering. Choose carefully which side you wish to serve. Truly, choose carefully. Your Father in heaven who created you, loves you, and wants you to overcome your fallen state and return to him, or the master deceiver who manipulates you, lies to you, uses you, destroys you, and leads you towards earthly death and eternal suffering. The choice is truly up to you. Repent and believe, or suffer the consequences. Um, yeah, so that's where we're going to end. Hopefully this made sense to, to you all. Um, be back next week. Um, yeah, said in the chat says, liking your backdrop, brother. Did you stain it recently? Yeah, I did stain it. I got, um, I forget which, what, what, what it was called, what color it was called. Honey. It was something honey. Oak honey or something like that. It's going to be lighter, but it ended up being pretty dark. Kind of cool. Like, kind of cool, the multicolor. Like, um, if you can see that, like the strips. Because these, this is just pallet wood. This is, like, really cheap. Like, I literally ripped pallets apart, sanded them down, kind of cut them into shape a little bit, and just nailed them together. <laughs> it was actually kind of kind of a fun little cool project. I think I talked about it on the stream. But the pallets, because it's, just, it's literally just a, a big pile of random pallets. And I actually like, my girlfriend does not like it. But like this, like this right here. It's the same stain, but the wood, I don't know how that ends up being so drastically different. Like this, right here, if you can see that. Like that. I don't understand how this one pallet, this one pallet board right here, ends up with such a distinctly perfect and unified difference in colors. I don't know. It's interesting. Any wood masters out there uh, can explain it to me. I don't know. But a single stain color can manipulate different types of wood, I guess, or the same type of wood in different ways. I just don't know what causes that color differentiation. Any master woodworkers out there, any carpenters that understand this kind of stuff, hit me up <laughs> and let me know. I'd love to learn. Yeah, pallet wood is based wood. <laughs> based. Based. <laughs> mini based. Uh, <laughs> mini ba mini dab. Uh, <laughs> 
yeah, with that, thank you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate the love and the support. Instead of a can, just coming in hot with the funny money on DLive. I appreciate it, brother. Hope all is well. Shada, hope all is well. My girlfriend in the chat, hope all is well. Everyone on YouTube, like the four people on Twitter, thank you guys for tuning in. My uh, restream app doesn't tell me that you guys are on, but on Twitter I can see you guys are watching. Thank you for tuning in. Twitch again is not working, I'm assuming. <laughs> I think my stream turns on and then just is blank on Twitch. So it's kind of funny that I'm like quote unquote streaming, but it doesn't actually, it's never viewable. Um, <laughs> um, Sad says, please make sure to check the stamps on the pallets though. They should have branding marks on the two by fours that indicate treated with toxins. Yeah, that is good knowledge to know. I'm so glad that someone told me about that. <laughs> um, my last job, my old job, he would just, um, you know, he puts, some, puts a link in my chat. If you want to head over to DLive, I think my chat link will stay up permanently. Um, I did check on these, and yeah, there were some pallets in the pile that were treated. So that was good to know before that. Um, one of my coworkers, I was at my old former boss, I mean, we just get these... I mean, he just had stacks of pallets. I mean, you could make houses out of <laughs> so many pallets. Most of them would be broken or real dirty, like real rotted and crumbling. Because um, they were pallets for carrying blocks. And they were just like sitting outside a lot. He would just take them and put them in a giant pile and burn them. Like every month or something, you know. But we had two months where we just did a bunch of really big projects. And we had a giant stack of them. And I started going through and just pulling out the ones that were nicer. And I kept telling him like, yeah, I'm gonna rip these pallets apart and make some, some furniture out of it. And literally like two days before I was going and just doing like a weekend project where I did it all, this one of my coworkers was like, hey man, you need to check because some of those pallets might be uh, treated. And I forget what, yeah, you said toxins. I forget what he said, but it was like actually pretty dangerous stuff. Um, Cause I was saying like, what I'm gonna be doing is ripping it apart and sanding it. And he was like, you do not want to be sanding. <laughs> He's like, if you sand down some of this stuff and those dust particles shoot up into your nose and mouth, dude. He's like, ah, yeah, you might not want to do that, you know. So he showed me like how to look on the side. He told me to look on the side and he said that if they specifically have to be marked. So if there's no markings, you're good. Legally, they can't mark, you know. So if someone's making their own pallets by hand... Maybe that's questionable, but these are coming from a company that legally they have to market or not. So yeah, that was good to know. That was like a day before, two days before I was going to just like, I'm going to do this, my, I'm going to do this project. <laughs> He's like, hey, uh, you might want to <laughs> not rush into that and uh, check before you do. But yeah, that is good to know. I did not know that. I'm glad I learned that. And yeah, make sure everyone out there, if you're ever doing pallet projects, Make sure to check on the pallets themselves to see if they've been treated because there's toxins that they do put onto them. Especially, sometimes it's kind of heartless if you're just ripping them apart, putting them together, or keeping them in your backyard as like a chicken coop or something. Maybe that's not the best. But if you're making just something that doesn't really matter and it's going to stay outside, not a big deal. If you're making it like a coffee table <laughs> where you could potentially be like putting your hands on all day every day or like, you know, Maybe like if you drop half a sandwich on it and you just decide to pick it up and eat it anyways, five second rule of sandwich or something, you might not want to do that <laughs> if the pallet wood's been treated. Um, but yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, good point. But yeah, so I don't know. But then again, if anyone knows why the color differential is happening, let me know. Let me know. Yeah, I think it turned out well. Some parts are done a little shoddy, but my girlfriend complains about it. But I think it was, I think it was good enough. Good enough. Said thing. Said said agrees. That looks good enough. You know. Um, yeah, solid. Pallets are like Legos for men with tools. Yeah. <laughs> Pallets are like Legos. Yeah. You make so much with it. I can't wait to actually get out of my apartment next year. Get into a house and start building. Start getting stuff. Doing man stuff. Doing Lego. <laughs> you know, playing with the Legos. That is pallet wood. Building raised beds and chicken coops. Yeah, and all of my furniture. <laughs> but right on. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'm going to call it a night. Truly, thank you for tuning in now or later. Thanks for hearing me out, listening to me, interacting in the chat, sending me donations and stuff. I appreciate it. I'll be back next Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central Time. SeanVPlanet.com for all the links to all my stuff, all my contact information, at SeanVPlanet on all the apps and all the places. I'm going to try to be more active on TikTok. TikTok freaks me out, but for some reason, it's like my number one best following. I get the most views and most likes on TikTok, um, but then I end up focusing all my time and attention like elsewhere, like Instagram and Twitter and Discord and uh, Telegram. I just like those more. I trust those more. Better quality people on there overall. But for some reason, the degenerates on TikTok seem to like me. <laughs> seem to like me. So I need to start figuring it out and be getting gooder at using TikTok, you know? Follow me there. Check me out. I'm going to be using that more. Make sure to go out this week and seek what is good, true, and beautiful. Do good. Be good. Love and be loved. Overcome your rebellious nature and seek to love, serve, and obey the Lord, your God, only. Reject those in rebellion to him that seek to lead you astray. Focus on your creator and returning yourself spiritually back into a union with him. And make sure your soul returns home to the eternal kingdom that God has made for you. Worship the creator and not the created. Worship the creator and not the created. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, brother. O7's in the chat. Bear7's in the chat. Thank y'all. I love it. I appreciate y'all. Have a great week. I love you all. And I'll see you back here next week again for another awesome stream. Follow Sean on social media at Sean B. Planet. His podcast audio is on the Sean B. Planet channel on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. His videos are on YouTube and BitChute. Live streams on DLive and Twitch. Blogs, links, and other stuff can be found at SeanBlanet.com.